This is Ivers Illustrated Insider, Tuesday, July 20th. Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson. After a two-week break, we are back at it. More news. Jalen Sneed, Benjamin Morrison have joined the fold in the class of 2022. Tim O'Malley has interviewed Matt Bayless. We have some offensive line conversation in segment two. Uh, I, I have interviewed Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman, although I guess we touched upon that a couple of weeks ago. But let's start with the, the two verbal commitments. Everybody loves Jalen Sneed. Yeah. I really think Benjamin Morrison is a really, really good football player. He's not a blazer. I think he's a really good football player. I have him in my top 10 in the class. And I'm going to make a pr- prediction right now. Benjamin Morrison will be a captain of the Notre Dame football team at some point during his career. Yeah. I'm now trying to think of the last corner captain. <laughs> good job. That's good. I'm basing that on personality and a hey, Julia love Julia love would have been let's put it that way there exactly, you go. Yeah, exactly. That's an easy, I think, I think Benjamin Morrison is cut from the same mold yeah that's high praise because uh you would love Julian Morrison or you love you love Julian love coming out uh and even, even more when we saw him play in college but yeah I think it's been a great month for Notre Dame um I know you love Bellamy at safety and they need Bellamy to be at safety because you saw Monday musings I broke down the safeties recruiting under Brian Kelly and it has nothing to do with the rest of the position groups it is, it's shocking, really. Um, we forget about it because they have Kyle Hamilton. It's kind of, kind of a good one to, well, to match it's, anything else. It's, it's yeah. interesting you should say that because I'm about to do the, the defensive backs first rate, and I look at some of the national magazines, and, man, they have their secondary rated very highly. Because they look at Houston Griffith's ranking. They, they, and Isaiah well, Pryor probably, too. Yeah, and they, I mean, I think a lot of it's based upon Kyle Hamilton. But I'm here to tell you that there are a ton of good secondaries on Notre Dame's uh, 2021 schedule. But that's P. What are, you, what are your views on Morrison? And I think we all share the view on Sneed, probably. <laughs> right. I mean, Sneed is as close as uh, to Wusu Koromo as you're going to get. Um, I think it's hard. It's hard to find players like that to sort of like give you the flexibility to play 11 and a half on 11 defensively, where you're not subbing out all the time. Like Morrison is, I, I mean, is a good player. Um, you know, I know I most people don't rank him as as, as think as highly of him as I do. Um, he is yeah, I'm just trying. I'm like going through the class in my head. You know, they have 19 commits now. If you have you have them in your top 10 or just 10th? I think I have him eighth. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's he's a good player. I you know, I'm, I'm not sure that he necessarily like blows me away, um, but I am with you in terms of the background uh, and the fit. And just sort of like how he will be an easy transition player to Notre Dame. Like, I don't, they're not going to have any problems with him academically coming from Brophy Prep. Um, they're not going to have any problems with him athletically or sort of catching up to scheme or technique based on the training that he does and having NFL genes. And all his older siblings are college athletes too. So it's, um, I mean, it's, a, it's somebody that you would take 10 times out of 10 if you're, if you're Notre Dame. I know that there's some, I get, I, I, I realize Notre Dame is sort of like, hey, we beat Wisconsin or Wisconsin, Washington and Alabama for him. I, I'm still sort of like, would Alabama is they going to go in Arizona and take a, a, a they, <laughs> corner to outside the top 300? Well, they definitely beat Washington for him. That's good. Yeah, enough, which which is. is enough. Which is like that. <laughs> my my point there is like that's enough. Like Washington is one of those schools where if you beat Washington for a DB you got a really good DB. Like, I don't care if you beat Washington for an O-lineman, uh, but Washington in terms of evaluation of defensive backs is is really one of the – it's like Iowa for offensive linemen. Yeah. Um, so I, I respect that, their evaluation. If Notre Dame is beating Washington for a guy Washington wanted in the secondary, I think that is – that's a big get. They beat Alabama for Bramblett, and that's all I need. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Tim, um, you had an opportunity to uh, interview Matt Bayless. You've had one uh, one story out. Um, just the highlights of, of your interview with Matt Bailey. Yeah, I, you know, he was – the reason the first story came out about Lug and Tagliavamoa Amosa is because, first of all, he's a little reticent to talk about young players, and I get it, because you don't want to talk too much about the young players' progress because then people put too much on it. But those two have been with him since he got here. I, I never really thought about that until I started talking to him I mean, they came in his first 
offseason was 17, their first offseason was 17, and they have been they have completely developed under him. And they really had some weight loss journeys and weight gain journeys. And you know, he really preaches that there may be huge gains and losses, but it's 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 over a course a period of time. And when we see the weight gains, it's probably been a six month span since those appeared in print. And they're very careful about that. Um, and I, I I was really promising to hear how Lug reshaped his body. I think people are really going to uh, like what they see from Lug more so than in the past. And Tim, you were one of the first people on this. Um, just seeing him was at North Carolina where you're like, he needs to yeah, reshape his he, body. He looked like he, yeah. Yeah. But and now we know back, why. His back was bothering yeah, him. And he couldn't but do I mean, anything. it was, cl- it was yeah. clear that he was carrying too much weight. Yeah. And then he, he went to great extremes to make sure that. Well, that's what the point was. Like he had to lose it, and then they're building. They were building it back right. up for the. It's function, functional lean body mass. It's interesting talking to Coach Bayless because you get words or phrases you would never put together in the past. And the functional lean body mass is what the four of us should strive for as well. Apparently, because that is <laughs> that's what they go for for every athlete at Notre Dame. Um, I thought that his. I kind of asked him about early enrollees. How much does that help? How much does that mean? Because when people go back and forth about this a lot, like a guy's in early, oh, he's got a chance to play. He's like, you know, it's incredibly important for school and not as important for necessarily getting ready to play football because, as he's pointed out, Al Hamilton comes in in the summer. Clarence Lewis comes in the summer. Michael Mayer comes in the summer. It's how good of a football player you are now. It's not like it doesn't help to get there, and clearly it's going to help offensive linemen get a six-month advance on their training. But I think he said it can be be a little overstated for playing that fall. But it's not overstated for assimilating to Notre Dame. And you think that's a unique thing about Notre Dame and why it was good to have those 14 guys coming in is it's tough to come to Notre Dame in the summer. As we find out from a lot of transfers, I'd like to look back at this and see who transfers out early enrollee compared to not early enrollee and just throw yourself into it in the fall. And I think that's why, for instance, everybody was mad about Jordan Johnson not playing last year. Well, Jordan Johnson's biggest assimilation wasn't Matt Bayless's training program. It was Notre Dame's training program on a day-to-day basis. So I thought... And we've kind of discussed that in the past. We're like, how big of an advantage is it to come in early? It's emotionally and mentally a big advantage, but good football players are good football players when they come into the summer too. Yeah. Hey, Pete, I know you had an opportunity to talk to Tommy Reese and I did as well. And, and we've already, and, and by the way, Tim, Tim O'Malley will be following up with a couple more stories uh, with Matt Bayless here in the next few days. But, uh, and, and, and we've already talked about it. We talked about this on the podcast two, two weeks ago, or, or at least the interviews, but, one of the stories that I wrote was about Tommy Reese talking about, well, number one, Michael Mayer, Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree being heavily involved in the passing game. I mean, we are going to see Tyree and Kyron Williams on the field simultaneously. And I mean, among those three, those guys are going to catch more than 100 passes because Mayer is going to be in the 50s or 60s, probably, you know, all things being equal over the course of the season. And Kyron Williams caught 35 passes last year. So I think we're going to see that. But he also talked about the senior receivers and then was adamant about Xavier Watts has to be in the mix for us. I don't know if he means (laughs) – I didn't quite follow up on it, I guess. But, I mean, does that mean Xavier Watts has to step up or it is imperative to Tommy Reese that Xavier Watts is on the field? Uh, I mean, we can do some compare and contrast because okay. when I asked a similar question, he didn't mention Xavier Watts at all. Okay. Um, he didn't, Xavier Watts didn't come up in conversation. I didn't ask him about him by name. It was Wilkins, Lindsey, Keys. He felt like in January, Keys hit like a maturity threshold that was significant. He felt like Lindsey hit that threshold like last month. Um, and I think so we he saw was, that in the spring. Uh, he, I mean, he did not. He did not. Uh, okay. Yeah, so he felt like Lindsay's summer has been the best and most mature version of Lindsay that he has seen. And he's, he's hopeful that Lindsay will have a training camp similar to Keyes' spring practice because of that. Um, but, you know, Watts did not come up. Styles did not come up. It was, it was so much more about, all right, you got Mayer, Kyron, Tyree, Austin, and Avery Davis. Like, they're in one group. And then how do you move over Lindsay Keys or Wilkins? Yeah. Some combination of those. That makes sense. It, I mean, I think if we you all can move over, way. like it's like if Austin is healthy and you can move over two of those three, I, you know, there's very little pressure to me to get Xavier Watts or Lorenzo Styles like reps. Yeah. And I thought, um, 
uh, it was with Tim's interview where um, Reese made a good point where, you know, Kevin, they all know what Kevin Austin can do. It's been a while since he's been out there playing football in any capacity. Uh, so he's not going to show up. And as Reese said, it was, he's not going to go out and moss people <laughs> on day one when he's out there. Yeah. I think Kevin Austin playing four games in a row or three games in a row in September is huge because then maybe the next five games we can see Kevin Austin. I don't think Kevin Austin shows up in Tallahassee. He's Notre Dame's best weapon out there as a wide receiver. But if you said Kevin Austin's going to conclude the Stanford game as Notre Dame's best weapon out there, like, oh, that'd be great. That's, that's, well, I that's can see the, that happening. Yeah, that's more important. And, yeah. you know, a lot depends upon what he shows in, in, in camp in August. Yeah. And we'll get, we, we will apparently get an opportunity to see him. By the way, somebody asked a question. I'm just gonna, going to insert it here. When camp opens, players are expected to report on Thursday, August 5th. Uh, we could talk to Brian Kelly that day. Maybe there's something on Friday, but more likely than not, um, we will see our first practice on Saturday, August 7th. It'll be at Notre Dame, not Culver. I guess I'm, I misunderstood last time uh, Pete's comment about that. Um, so that is coming up. Um, but we'll see with receivers. And, I, you know, I mean, I, I felt like after I – and we have a question in the second segment about it. I felt like after I was done writing the story, it's like, you know, I realize that there's a lot of guys that have a lot to prove, but when you look at those guys and you take into consideration players being seniors, which I put a lot of emphasis on, a lot of fans don't, they want the freshman receiver in there right away. But I think there's a lot of potential with that, with that group. I do too. Don't you agree? And we wrote this or one of us wrote this and counted down the Irish. I can't remember if I blurred it or you wrote it. I think Joe Wilkins as a reserve is number is key though. Notre Dame, Joe Wilkins at the reserve. In other words, he needs the three to be guys we talked about. Yes. Avery yeah. Davis, Kevin Austin, Brady right. Lindsay, Lawrence Keys, and what can Joe Wilkins do to augment that group? Not, hey, Joe Wilkins won the job. We're gonna be like, okay, well, we got a problem. Yeah, that's here. not that's yeah. not good. But yeah, I I mean, like I Mayor Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree, they are an integral yeah. part of the passing game. And so, so now now add add the numbers. There's three. There's two more. That can play on the field, uh, and you can, okay, and so you got to be you got to be subbing a lot of those guys. I mean, it's, yeah. I know Chris Tyree and Kyron can't play every snap together, but that's that's the base, right? Yeah, no doubt. I, I don't no fifty percent of snaps. It, it's almost like Tyree's the second tight end. Uh, I'll be I'll sort of believe that when I see it. Like so you don't think twenty be, that twenty one personnel would be their base? I, well, I don't. Well, base base that. means more than two tight ends and more than three wide receivers. That would be my point. I think their base will be 11, like sort of same as always. Um, I think, like you know, last year, last like, year was last year was two tight ends, but right. Uh, like Avery Davis is not so far from Tyree or Kyron Williams in terms of his understanding of the pass game. Like he's ahead of them. Um, but I think that I, if you said, Hey, 21 personnel is the new 12 personnel. I'd be like, yeah, I totally can see that. Okay. You know, where it's like majority is in it, not not last year, but in normal times where like, we're an eleven personnel team, but our changeup is twenty-one. Yeah, and, and one of one of the things that Reese said to me was that you know because I was trying to get <laughs> uh, the late great Lou Samoji and I were cut from the same cloth. We're always trying to we always want to nail down the, the the depth chart, and I was trying to do that. And he said, you know what, we just got we've got to we've got to we got to get players on the field. I mean, and, and we can't always worry about you know, X and the Z and the, the W and the Y, we've just got to get playmakers on the field. And that was his whole point about, you know, Tyree and, and, uh, and Kyron Williams uh, being on the field together. Let's um, let's wrap this up. Um, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about Quinshawn Judkins because that now sounds like Notre Dame's running back real quickly on this with the loss of Nicholas Singleton. They're looking at, at Quinshawn Judkins. I don't know if you guys have studied him. I haven't, studied him real closely but I've taken a look at him and I think that's a significant drop off from Nicholas Singleton I really like Singleton I, um yeah I mean my initial I I realized that Notre Dame is going to take a look at backs my understanding is more that like they're going to watch their senior years and then evaluate opposed and that, to I, man I agree with that yeah. I, I, I don't I, think they've made a decision on anybody to take as a, like they don't have to take a second back and unless somebody has a great senior year they, I wouldn't they, they don't and I, I I'm with you too but you have to have a conversation then to get someone back because Kyron Williams should be leaving after this year because any talented 
junior running back should go pro. Um, And Sebo Flemister, your conversation with him has to be, hey, man, Audrick Estem and Logan Diggs are about a year away. You can be our number two next year, or he wants to go start somewhere else and try to showcase his abilities, which would leave you with, that's the logical thing, Tyree and the two incoming freshmen. Um, And then you need one more to add to price, right? I mean, you need to have five backs. Yeah, and and I just think that, I mean, with the, the era that we're now entering where the rosters are going to be so fluid, when in doubt, take another one. Yeah. I just don't think that that's the one to take right now. And I wholeheartedly agree that let the senior seasons of these guys transpire. I mean, I don't think that, I don't know how early they got on Audric Estime, but I don't think they were recruiting him last year at this time. So, um, you know, and that's the, the best roster, point, Tim, is with the fluid rosters, get a fifth running. It doesn't have to be a certain right. fifth running back. You got to get, you got to find yeah. a fifth though. How many guys, how many guys transferred out last year? I mean, yeah, like double digits, 12, right? There's right. almost 12. The double digits. Yeah. And yeah. that is only going to increase. Right. So but fluid right roster there. can work for you. Like oh, get yeah. a grad transfer running back that, or, or just a regular transfer running back. Yeah. I don't want grad transfer running backs. Or when you're trying to bring Sebo Flemister into your program, you might want to convince Sebo yeah. Flemister to stay yeah. in your program. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that would be your first choice. Yeah. All right. Wrapping up segment two coming up, burning up the boards. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Burning up the board, segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider. We start with a question from SD Irish fan. Do you think the verbal commitment of Keon Keeley and Brennan Vernon was the main reason for the transfer of Devin Apu and the decommitment of Darren Agu? In general, how much do current players watch recruiting as to whether to consider transferring? This is I I wish fans maybe understood this more than they do. Current players do not know a damn thing about recruiting other than the players that they are hosting. So the like and even that I think is a stretch. So the idea that I think Devin Apu and Darren Agu knew anything about Keon Keeley or Brennan Vernon or even who they were is highly, highly unlikely. Yeah, I think like Tyler Buckner and Brendan Clark and Drew Pine would notice if Arch Manning is coming to Notre Dame because of that yes. specific position. But you're looking at other than that, it's yeah, we bring in talent. They're going to play right after I play is what they're looking at. And, I, and I remember, like, we did a story. I think Fortuna wrote this on The Athletic. It was it was sort of about Jalen Smith's arrival. And, like, Dan Fox didn't even know who he was. <laughs> wow. That like, wow. So, I mean, it was, a fi- top, it was, like, the highest-rated prospect of the BK era. And there were linebackers on the team were like, who's that? And okay, like, well then, crap. Who is that? Um, I mean, I, I trust your opinion on that, but how do you explain Darren Agu being verbally committed to Notre Dame and then committing to Vanderbilt? Well, he's not he at Notre Dame right away, and he's not at Notre Dame either. You know what I mean? Yeah, like Devin Opu, no. you mentioned he has a you've yeah, heard that, he has that's an issue a, as far as we know, that's a family issue, and yeah, it didn't yeah. have anything to do with anything other than that. But uh, yeah, well, he's I know, not at Notre Dame. I understand he wants to play right away, but. I mean, he was verbally committed to Notre Dame and he changed his mind and it had to be a quicker spot on the field. And that means that he had an eye on the roster, didn't it? Doesn't but, it? No, uh, but that means he had an eye on the roster that was already here, not the roster of guys who are juniors in high school. You know what I mean? Like guys in his class or guys in the class above him. Okay. So I don't, think a, senior, I don't think a recruiting. senior prospect is looking okay. at junior prospects. Yeah, well, that's fair. Because like those guys are a million miles away from signing. Agu wanted to play right away. Um, I mean, you wrote it; it's true. Like he was the he was tied for 16th in the class at Notre Dame in terms of his player ranking. Vanderbilt is number one. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's the exact kind of player that Clarkley has to get right developmental. But at Vanderbilt, you get to develop while playing. At Notre Dame, you get to develop on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Yeah, Yeah. And, and I think. You know, maybe I'm overreacting to one situation, but I think we're going to see a lot more of that because in the in the age of name, image, likeness, brand, uh, platform, 
you can be anywhere in the country and make it in the NFL. The NFL is going to find yeah. you. It doesn't matter whether you're at a power five, a group of five. It doesn't matter whether you're, uh, you know, an FBS player. Oh, if you're a player, they're going to find you. And that means the quicker I can get on the field, the, the sooner I'm going to be noticed. And the transfer thing is going to be huge with it at every, every grade through every class going through because – I mean, guys, think of the people we've talked to that were thinking about transferring out or transferred out with their parents. Guys that had no shot at starting at Notre Dame, transferred to try to go to go to the NFL somewhere else. Like that's the think of what you're thinking is I can't beat out <laughs> the four safeties left at Notre Dame last year, but I want to leave and go somewhere else to go to the NFL. Like that is absolutely illogical thinking but there's they don't they have a much different view well, and, 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 and a one out of every 50 is an nfl player right yeah. that transfers out and says i can make it and they're young confident competitive right. athletes right. who want to play so and, as, I mean, and there's always an exception that will leave and become a great player that ha- that's and I, I too, mean, just on a goo like i think it's worth noting the guy grew up and was born in ireland grew up in london like the pageantry and tradition of like notre dame football is like not a thing for him like he, he did not grow up with college football at all. So I think, you know, I, I don't think we're going to see this rash of transfers or, or guys dropping down a, a level of power five schools so they can play right away because I think winning in Notre Dame, Alabama, Ohio state, Clemson, Oklahoma, USC playing at those schools matters. But if you're an import, like there's South end Notre Dame football, whatever. Like it's it's not a thing to a player like Darren Agu the way that it would be to, um, you know, Brendan Vernon or Keon Keeley, guys guys who are you know from the U.S. Yeah, well, he'll find out how unimportant Vanderbilt football is too, real quickly. <laughs> Wash <laughs> ND, considering not having any access to practices in a year and a half, is this the most excited you have been for a fall camp in a while? What are you most looking forward to? at the first in-person camp access? Yes. <laughs> it's by far the most excited I have been for a fall camp. I mean, fall camp is always more, way more excited than spring ball. Fall camp's, fall camp's always pretty fun. We're always looking forward to a football season. But this year, are you kidding? And it's Kevin Austin, the last great player I saw in Notre Dame practice, is who I want to see. That's true. <laughs> He's going to pick up right where he left off the last time I saw wow. him. Wow, boy, you hope he does. That, yeah, Austin would be one, but like Jack Cohn is way up there for me. And like, you know, Jordan Botello, I'm fascinated to see as well, like what the dynamics are there with Foskey and then how they use the receiver. So, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. I just, you know, from our perspective, when you, when you run a website, I mean, you, you need, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a daily endeavor. It's, it's 24, seven, 365. And, and, um, when you don't get to see spring practice, like we did not get to see last year, and then you don't get to see fall practice. I mean, right or wrong, I'm not saying that I evaluate players correctly all the time, but if you don't see them, you don't have any basis and it's going on hearsay and a little bit of information you can dig up. So, I mean, just for me, it's just being able to see every scholarship football player run around and do something. Now it's, it's madness trying to, keep track of everybody because you you can only look at one player or one, one setting or play at a time. But that just in general for me is, is uh, I just want to see them run around and see in the freshman, you just want to see how good they are. Well, to put a point on that though, Tim, like last year, I think we were able to accurately predict the season because it was more obvious. Like we didn't need to see all of spring to say this offensive line is going to bulldoze people. You know, we, we, we yeah. knew that. This one we have to see work. We we don't have, need to see every practice to say, yeah, Ian Book's going to be pretty solid quarterback for Notre Dame. We want to see the new. We want to see Jack Cohen and Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine. Like the offensive line is new. We assume the defensive line is going to have a big advantage over them, um, just yeah. in terms of cohesion and, they, and things like that. The, all the wide receivers now are in play. Whereas last year, you and I talked about on a podcast. There's all these stories around the internet about Lawrence Keys and Braden Lindsey, and we're talking to Brian Keller we're like. So it's Tommy Treble and Michael Mayer, right? And he's like, well, yeah, of course it is. I mean, that wasn't this. We don't know. This could be any of those yeah. combination of guys you guys talked to Tommy Reese about. And I and I know that, like you know, in the spring we'd get three minute clips, and people say, well, what can you tell from three minutes? Well, three minutes is twenty plays, and twenty times fifteen is three hundred plays. Yeah, and is that right? Whatever. There's a lot of plays, and you enjoyed I mean, it's it. A yeah, couple, it's a couple, like several hundred plays, and that's seeing a lot. I mean, that is just, that's seeing a lot at that point. Yeah. But, but I, I still, I agree with you that this August is, 
I'm going to form my opinion of the team more in August than I usually do. Does that make sense? Well, sure it does, yeah. especially in the after not having it last year. Pete Sampson had to step away. He'll join us here in a little bit. He'll jump back in a little bit. Uh, Tim, go ahead. From Bill V6118, if Houston Griffith finds his mojo this year, do you think that will result in a dominant top 10 defense? Do you think it will take an injury or some other type of loss of those ahead of him to have Xavier Watts become a significant contributor on offense? You know, I mean, I, I, I would lump Houston Griffith in there with, I mean, Clarence Lewis needs to get better. Tariq Bracey has to have a positive impact yeah. because of Cam Hart's length and some of the positive things that we're hearing. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think you can become uh, Notre Dame already. I mean, they pretty much have been a top 10 defense and now they've got one of the best coordinators replacing one of the best coordinators. And so they're going to be good, but I mean, I, I you know, truly dominant top 10, I think that entire secondary, it's not just one guy back there. It's the corners have to be difference makers. And they weren't difference makers last year. They weren't. They didn't no, make. No. They didn't make plays. They didn't, I, no um, corner has an interception coming back. I think uh, I talked about this on the board during the Clarence Lewis ranking. Someone said we were too. Or is it a bad sign that Clarence Lewis is twenty? Well, I don't know if it's. It is a bad sign. I don't know if it's an accurate ranking. We're going to find out. But the reason yeah. I think we didn't rank him higher than twenty, Tim, is Clarence Lewis did a good job last year coming in for a freshman. Yes. Replacing a totally broken player in Tariq Bracey. Would Clarence Lewis have stepped in for other Notre Dame teams ahead of Kavari Russell and other players like that? I mean, Clarence Lewis has to prove he's a playoff level player. What he did last year was really amazing for a freshman. And if we keep saying for a freshman, it doesn't matter anymore for Clarence Lewis. Now he's a starting sophomore and he's got to be good. I think that's a great point you make, but it's not just Houston Griffith. What if I told you Houston Griffith would be about as good, almost as good as Jalen Elliott was when he started really balling out for Notre Dame. Then I, how do you feel? Then I feel great. Then I feel extremely surprised. Me too. But that would be a nice, that would be like a, I don't want to say something. I'm not like trying to throw Harrison Smith's name out there or, or someone like that. So, and, and Gilman's just a much, Gilman's a 100% cut from a different cloth player than Houston Griffith. So a guy like Jalen Elliott or someone along those lines where he develops and Elliott did it as a junior but let's say it's Houston Griffith as a senior, then I think that would really be a huge thing for Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, question from Dave Drake, 515. Who sees more playing time by the end of the season, Xavier Watts or Lorenzo Styles Jr.? I wish I read this one. Um, <laughs> this is tough. <laughs> I will go because if, he's, if Watts is moving outside, basically. Yeah, I, I feel I mean, like – I, I, uh, Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay are out there. Avery Davis might be out there a little bit. I mean, I, can I say neither? <laughs> I don't think either one's good. Look at what I did. I don't think they're right. If Kevin Austin's good and Braden Lindsay's good and Lawrence Keyes is good and Avery Davis is already good. I just don't think Braden Lindsay can take all the snaps at the receivers. So they, I mean, I'd say Watts so, because there's two – look, Avery Davis and Lawrence Keyes and a tight end and Chris Tyree right. take the slot spot. That's so it's got to be Xavier. It's got to be Xavier Watts. Not that, not that Lorenzo Styles can't play X, but I, I just think that Watts – Right, good point. I think they need to get Watts on the field. I think they realize that if you don't get Watts on the field – yeah, there could be some discontent there uh, moving forward. Styles could win conceivably the punt returner job if he's great at tracking punts. Yeah. If he's ninety-five percent as good as Matt Salerno is at tracking punts, because he's a better he's a better return man. I mean, yeah, I would a faster, think he, quicker player. Uh, Lawrence Keys gets back in, involved yeah. in that again, right? Yeah, that's true too. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if you're or everybody's excited about Chris Tyree playing a lot more, that's a spot. Chris Tyree's spot is one of those reserves not getting as much playing time. There's yeah. just, there's not enough snaps for yeah. everybody out there. C Norman 83. What is the ceiling for the wide receiver core as a unit? I mean, we kind of I hinted at this in the first segment. I, I, I really think that like when I, when I finished reading that story and I think a lot of our subscribers, when they finished reading, it was like, you know, the, maybe they do have some pieces here that that could be pretty good. And, and I, you know, I mean, Lawrence Keys has to prove he's a player for 13 games or however many games. And Braden Lindsay has to do the same thing. Kevin Austin has to, you know, I realize all the question marks, but if you're talking about what is the ceiling for the wide receiver core, the ceiling I think is pretty high. If they can stay healthy, I, I think they can put it together. You know, kind of like a, a 2013 
group, like a TJ Jones, Tavares Daniels. Like, I'm not sure that um, it's not a 2015 receiver group. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure. And I don't even know if there's going to Claypool Boykin. Like, I think if Kevin Austin had a Miles Boykin senior year, I, I, I would take that in a second, right? Like, oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that would be you're not, you, you know, beyond Claypool. Getting to Claypool levels, I think, is asking. And if, he, too and much if he's there. healthy, if he's healthy, he should. Yeah, yeah. I, I, t- I look at Notre Dame, and I don't even like bringing up the past seasons because I'm hoping it is what Reese is kind of kind of talked to you about. Tim is that it's in the aggregate. Like if you say if Braden Lindsay in Week Eight has four touchdowns and they're all big plays, and he has two other big plays. And people are like, man, we got to get Brayden Lindsay on the field more. And you're like, well, do you want to take out Austin, who has six touchdowns, or you'd rather have Keys out, who has 13 first downs? And what do you want to do with Avery Davis, who just won the USC game? Like, I think that's how you want to end up looking at this team, that they have five, six guys in there, and they don't even have to approach. No one's going to approach Claypool's senior year. That's, Kevin Austin's not as good right now as Chase Claypool was as a senior. No, it, it's I not can't. close. Like, that, yeah. I think we should start tempering some stuff, because all we do is talk about how good Austin is. Chase Claypool was freaking incredible in August of his senior camp going into that year. He was dominating Troy Pride. Remember the stories? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely dominating him. And I don't think Kevin Austin. No, I think I mean I think for us to right. I think for us to see Kevin Austin as best, we're going to need to see him in 2021 and 2022. Yeah, I think you're right. That's that's a tough one. Question from Records 33 Hot. When Kari G first signed. There was a belief he could start at safety, but move closer to the line of scrimmage based on his skill set. Since then, Notre Dame has a stacked set of 2022 linebacker commits, but no elite safety commits yet. Does this motivate Notre Dame to try to keep G at safety? Yes. I mean, I don't see any reason for him to move up a level. (laughs) No, it's just illogical. It's illogical to try to. Yeah, Prince Colley and, you know, and I don't know if Colley will end up a rover. Maybe he's – I think he's a little bit, I think he checked in maybe a little bit bigger than they anticipated. So maybe he's a, he's a will, but yeah, I mean, I think that changes. And that was, that was us saying that. that I don't us. know that. that was yeah. Us. I don't know that Nordame ever said, you know, Kari G is going to, he's a safety now, but he's going to move to Rover. That was, that was, that was our podcast. podcast. That was our podcast. Yeah. 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 Linebacker recruiting is too good. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the best way to say it. That is a really good way to say it, actually. It's just, they've, and that's a good thing. If the biggest concern Notre Dame fans have is, hey, can Kari G, who was recruited as a strong safety, play strong safety? That's good. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> thing. That's a good thing. Um, I, you know what? I want to go really quickly back to the wide receivers when yeah. people are talking about the ceiling. Like Pete mentioned 2013-15, and then we mentioned Claypool. So 2013 had the team MVP at wide receiver. 2015 had the team MVP and maybe century MVP at wide receiver. And 2019 had Chase Claypool, the team MVP at wide receiver. These wide receivers are not built in the way those teams are built. Like it's, it, it's gotta be in, in a combination of, wow, they got a lot of good players out there. Right. I mean, there's, I mean, in, unless Kevin Austin, unless, you know, again, he's completely healthy and he looks and he is like a 21 year old. Right. And, yeah, he, and yeah. he looks like, speaking of which, by the way, I'm glad you said that. Did you see how old, do you know how old Kane Madden is? No, but I'm hoping you're going to say like 29 now. It's been more fun for things. I don't think that's it though. Right. He will, he is 24. He is 24 and he will turn, he will, if he plays in a bowl game, he will be 25 years old when I play a bowl game. This is good. This is, this is the new way to do these things. Yeah. Uh, So like we were always talking about, well, you know, a 22, 23 year old versus an 18 year old true freshman. Kate Madden's 24, man. I mean, he's closer to 25 than he is his 24th birthday. This is like the Chris Winky unfair thing. Only he went with Heisman. <laughs> Where were we? Hit it. Out of the 90s. Is it wrong that I'm already nervous Marcus Freeman will only be here one year? Well, that says a lot about you, Dad of the 90s, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding you. But, you know, I mean, he hasn't even coached a game yet. You, can, you, you can't allow yourself to enjoy what is about to transpire. It should be a really, really good defense under him. But... <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, I, I, you know, how long is Marcus Freeman going to be at Notre Dame as defensive coordinator? It's, it you know, be we're, the, be the clock is probably ticking pretty loudly. Wouldn't you guys guess too? Yeah, 
but yeah, I would. I mean, th- three is the max anyway. Yeah, like yeah, coordinators don't go four years. So if you get two, great. Well, coordinators that don't really want to be head coaches, Brad guys Tom like Marcus knows. Freeman don't go. Yeah. two don't go three years. Yeah. No, I mean he 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 has to be a head coach. Well, I mean, oh, how many cor- how many coordinators has Notre Dame had under Brian Kelly that have made it to the fourth year? I think it's just one. Bob Diaco. Uh, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he didn't even. But he didn't even make it through the. Yeah, I guess Denbrock was the game, offensive right? coordinator all that time. There was some right. coordinators and some, and that didn't end well. You could look at it that way. Yeah. Tommy Reese will probably be a at least three year offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, though. Probably at least three. I mean, he'll be free. He'll, he'll be back next year as Notre Dame's offensive coordinator. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Much to the chagrin of a lot of people that have already determined. Not after that. he has these six wide receivers in, doing all the things I've he's described. In, he's in over his head. What? Why would? I mean, you can say that Tommy Reese showed his inexperience last year, but I don't think Tommy Reese is in over his head. And I, I can say, I say that. I, I mean, I say that with a pretty high degree of confidence because I think Tommy Reese understands offensive football better than ninety-nine percent of the twenty-eight or twenty-nine-year-olds in the world. 99.9% of the 20 year olds. I mean, I think he understands offensive football better than 95% of the coaches under 30 in the world. Right. And I don't, I mean, I think he was a little pigeonholed last year, wasn't he? With what he, he could he do. Ran the right off, he ran the absolute right off to get to. them to the playoffs. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Tim, go ahead and ask the next Al question. C. Hoops question. Have you gotten a chance to attend any practices yet with the new new slash old staff? <laughs> I was like, did I miss something here? <laughs> Curious if there is a different vibe. And this is a timely question. It is because I went this morning and today was the, uh, this morning was the eighth of nine summer practices. I have one more on Thursday. Um, yeah, the vibe is very different because the entire time we were there and this wasn't for show because it was, I was, that the first, you know, seven practices were the same way is a very, very strong emphasis on defense. It's Mike Bray's 22nd year at Notre Dame. So, yeah, I would say it's time to emphasize defense a little bit more. But uh, Anthony Solomon was all over that today. Um, you know, even, even Ryan Humphrey was very actively involved in talking on the defensive end, obviously, to the big guys. It was very interesting to see or hear, I should say, an entire, it was about an hour and a half. And you, I, I never heard Mike Bray's voice audible. Uh, he, is, he is very much letting his assistant coaches uh, coach a practice, or at least today. But I, I, but I know that that is something that he wants to do. So there's a different vibe. I'm not saying they're going to be that much better defensively because you still have to get Nate Lashewski to play consistent defense, Dane Goodwin to play consistent defense. And, oh, yeah, there's still a matter of rebounding the basketball. But there's no doubt. And this is not going to be a thing where it's emphasized now, but it's going to die down later in the season, which is what happened all the time previously. It's an emphasis now, and it will be throughout the season. He did mention in separate interviews with with you, with (laughs) South Bend Tribune, with me, that he's just more willing to give up a large segment of practice for drilling down on this to the point where I don't understand why large segments of practice weren't given up every year for that, because they're, they've been a poor to average defensive team for most of the time. I mean, we can pull out two or three good years where they played really good defense. I don't, man, I don't know if they ever really got better than average. Did they? Yeah. Well, no, I guess the the way they, the way they played some years, uh, their metrics were great because they had them held on the ball and they played quality team defense. And I mean, they played good D when, when they made that run, they played well, good defense. Kyle, yeah, when Conan's on the court, I mean, he's yeah, going Conan to Yeah, Conan took on the court. August is there. Demetrius Jackson's pressuring the ball. Jaron Grant's your fourth best defender. That's a good That's a good defense. He's a pro. You yeah. Know, just, that's just having better players that know how to play defense. I Very think, interesting too. to see an athlete like Blake Wesley running around the court for Notre Dame. I mean, he's long, um, and he is active defensively. He changes – his mere presence on the court will change things defensively for the better for them. There's a very detailed story. Um, I came across it on Twitter um, from Pipeline. If you look at news.pipeline, it's written by Dan Siegel. If you want to look it up, the problem with Notre Dame's basketball defense and a couple of reasons they may improve. 
it's 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 well uh, presented and written with metrics and stuff. But it talks about how um, playing balls high ball screens is harder nowadays for teams, and Notre Dame didn't play it well. I mean, Notre Dame played high ball streams horribly in the Big East, so I don't think that's a new problem. That's not automatically how you attack a ball screen is not going to change things. I mean, you that's been a problem for a long time. But I think just this emphasis daily on defense, as long as it persists, yeah, is and, what the real key is. Force the, force the basketball to the baseline and keep the basketball out of the lane. Yeah, that's the Virginia. I mean, that's what Virginia right, does. Exactly, and they exactly. double the post. So, I mean, that's – so it's basically the Virginia yeah. with Notre Dame's offense. That's well, good. I don't know how much you're going to double the post. But I meant Virginia doubles the post. Yeah, oh, they okay. double yeah. the post. Uh, religiously, they yeah. double the post. I, Pete, you want to? You probably don't want to comment on that. Yeah, I just I feel like Notre Dame basketball treats practicing defense the same way Notre Dame football treats practicing special teams. It's like a novelty when they do it. Like, I don't know. I, I'm with O'Malley here. It's, I'm just shocked that. It, this what you saw today is not a normal thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the way I uh, to wrap it up, I would for me is when you had that two elite eight teams and the Sweet Sixteen team, and even the team that didn't make the tournament because we know they made, didn't make the tournament because they all got hurt. Fonzie Colson, Matt Farrell, they had enough talent and offensive ability where I don't think you had to take over every practice and drill down on absolutely everything defensively. But every other team since should have been all right we can't score at the proper level either. So we are going to be great on defense. And by great, I mean the best we humanly possibly can be with our athletic limitations. And they clearly were the worst they could possibly be with their athletic limitations instead of the best. And that's a problem. Yeah. That's that's what I see as the problem. All right. Moving on Irish Cowboy 88. Long question here. Do you feel outside of the quote big four on the schedule that another team could be ranked when Notre Dame plays them? Do you see a team on the schedule that could be a dark horse top 15 team by season's end? My opinion that is Irish Cowboy 88, is Florida State. Can't imagine that much talent at a place used to winning will stay down too long. The only reason Florida State even moves the needle for me, and I think I don't mean to steal Pete's thoughts from a month ago, is that it's the first game of the year with a new offensive line, a new quarterback on a Sunday night in Tallahassee, and stuff can get sideways. But if you just said Notre Dame's going to Tallahassee on October 3rd to play Florida State, I'd say 31-14. One program's top tier or top five. The other program has been rudderless for four years, five years, six years. I don't, I mean, I tried to talk myself into somebody here to be creative for an answer, but I I couldn't find anybody outside of North Carolina, USC, Cincinnati, and Wisconsin. I think the rest of the schedule is maybe Virginia, but man, that is. So for Florida State, Florida State, Florida State brought in. They've seven, got a bunch of transfers. transfers. Yeah. Okay. Well, they also lost seven or eight transfers because I did a transfer story on this a week and a half ago. They lost as many as they brought in. And you know what? They lost talented transfers too. And they lose guys to the NFL that were not good for them last uh, year. Two guys I in mean, the secondary. And then Nazaldeen, who was hurt most of last year, but he he was, a, I want to say, a six-round draft pick. And Asante Samuel was a, um, yeah. I don't know, fourth round or something like that. bad but, human being wide receiver. They also lost as well. I mean, they have they lost a lot. Yeah. They had they had talented players. The thing the thing about the thing about Florida State being down and not you know their culture sucks. Their yeah, culture their football culture sucks right now. And until they get that changed, now get out second, of the first half, right? I mean, yeah, you're fine. You know, uh, second year of the Norvell program, and so maybe maybe some inroads are being made. But I agree. I mean, I think they're t- uh, personnel wise, they're going to be. You know they're 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 probably yeah, going to be better. I want to say this, and I'm not saying I'm not saying upset or anything, but as I go through all these positions, Toledo's a good football team, and Notre Dame has six days to prepare for them. They got to play on a Sunday. So how many, how many returning starters do you remember? A lot. I don't I don't know off the top of my head. I don't. It's a it, you'll remember it now for the rest of the year until they play because it's twenty two. All twenty two. <laughs> 22 returning starters. Yeah, yes. I, I don't know that. I don't know that all my information indicates that, but they, I, yeah, that's. Well, like Josh Lugg's a returning just, starter and so Zeke Carell. So 22 returning okay. starters. Does that all make right. sense? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I was just saying Florida State to be top 15, that basically means you have to go nine and three, right? Florida State play, they start with Notre Dame, they go to North Carolina, they go to Clemson, they go to Boston College, they play Miami at home, they go to Florida. That's not a fit. That's one and five. They're not going to go nine and three. Now, and I I would say the next, just just talent, just pure talent would be Virginia Tech. 
but that's a program that's they're. I mean, I think I, the next best team that's I just think they're mildly undervalued because I think he's a pretty good coach and they have a good backfield is Georgia Tech. Well, they've got most of their they've got most of their guys coming back. They, you know, I mean, they're still they gave up twenty two touchdown passes. With oh yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I mean, I'm not saying Notre Dame's in trouble, or I'm not saying they're top fifteen. I just feel like they're they have a good running back, a good no, quarterback, I yeah, I agree. offensive line. They they have some players. Georgia yeah. Tech has some some players. I, I agree, but I mean, it's still pretty much the big four, and then yeah. you know, you go to Virginia, you go to Virginia Tech, and if you don't, you know, if you get caught flat footed, then it then it could be an issue. On a related note, Need a Turnover asks, thoughts on Notre Dame opening as a 10-point favorite in Tallahassee? don't want anything to do with it. No, I don't either, but it's only because it's the opener on a Sunday night with a new quarterback. Yeah, I would be. If I had to pick, I would probably be inclined to take the 10, but that's just a, I mean, just from a a betting odds perspective. But you wouldn't week two or three. Do you know what I mean? Like if you saw Notre Dame play and and Notre Dame beat Purdue 40-14, you would never consider it. Staying close. Uh, question from Judge Arthur Vandalay: Does Drew Pine have a shot to start a quarterback this season? It seems like the job is Jack Cohn's to lose, but Pine appears advanced physically. I want to comment on that during the offseason. And Tommy Reese highlighted his leadership abilities with Samson's podcast. It doesn't seem like Cohn is far and away the better player. Does Pine still have a shot, albeit small? I don't. I don't see how. Drew Pine can beat out Jack Cohn at this point, barring injury. Not unless they had practice games. I mean, I don't see how he beats them out in 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 August. Well, I yes, I think the only way that he would beat them out in the season is if like that Florida State. Whoa, what the hell happened? Moment kind of happens. That's the way. I was just gonna say. You want to see Drew Pine get a shot? It's because Notre Dame was horrid on offense in its procedures, as Brian Kelly will say. He's running things well. The proceed, he's got the procedures down. That's what he's saying. Like, you know, how, how advanced Ian Book was over Phil Dracovic when they were here together is Dracovic would have trouble getting the play in from the sideline, getting it translated to what the audibles and whatever else he could do. And then you can't even run the operation that way. I can't see Jack Cohn messing that up. No, I mean, certainly, Tim, I mean, your conversations with Reese are probably similar to mine. Like, he really thinks a lot of Jack Cohn mentally and his ability to handle offense like to the point he intimated to me that they'll be able to do they'll be able to carry more offense this year than last year because of the differences between Jack Cohn and Ian Book not because their skill sets are different but Jack Cohn is just like in the classroom boom I got it let's go Ian was more in the classroom boom I got it but could we run through it in practice please yeah yeah, I, well, I think I, I think Cone sees things that you know we talked about that all the time that Book couldn't see the middle of the field and and that's why the argument for I mean do we really do you really want another undersized quarterback at Notre Dame as opposed to a six three guy that that won you know led them to ten victories in uh, Wisconsin ten victories in a Rose Bowl I mean I don't I don't know that that's what you want as far as the physical advancement. <laughs> I mean, if if you see pictures and videos of guys working out for the University of Notre Dame, if they don't impress you physically, then something is really, really wrong. <laughs> I, I mean, I just don't. I, I, yes, Notre Dame guys look great during the summer when they're working out. Drew Pine looks. Drew Pine's made advances and looks really good physically working out. That's probably why he's on scholarship at Notre Dame. I can change the Florida State line right now among Notre Dame's observers, if I give you video and pictures of Florida State's athletes working out right now and what they will look like yeah. coming out on that football yeah. field before they have to play anyway. football as a cohesive unit. Yeah. They will I'm look be- pretty good. Yeah, I'm being sarcastic, Judge, and I apologize. But, we, we you know, have we seen pictures of Jack Cohn working out? Sure. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there, I mean, there have been know. some. Yeah, okay. But I, don't, I don't know. I'm, he's also I mean, in good shape. Yeah, I'm being a snit about it, but uh, yeah, major college athletes look good when they're working out. A uh, question from Ohio Domer. On a scale of 1 to 10, what is your confidence level in Jack Cohn? I loved having Book. Here's a here's a different opinion. I loved having Book because every game I felt like we knew what we were getting and there was a high level of consistency 
over his career, which I think generally we agree, but not not everybody agrees with with the way his his career transpired in Notre Dame. What's your level of one to ten on Jack Cohn? What uh, could we set some parameters like what does confidence mean? Like confident that he's, he's going to do he's what? going to play at a really high level. He'll be as like good. He'll, ten he'll and two. Effect, yeah, he'll be as effective as Ian Book in some manner as a quarterback. Seven and a half. I am lower than that. I am. I think Ian Book's legs are greatly undervalued in the college game. Um, six. Uh, I would say seven. I don't know. Is that is that good? Should it be yeah, higher? Yeah. I you know I don't know. I I know when I first looked at Jack Cohn's film, did a film review on him, like right out of the right when he was coming to Notre Dame. My comment was, I, I don't know that people should expect him to be better than Ian Book. I feel a little bit differently about that in terms of throwing the ball down the field. Certainly, sure. I think he's oh, going to sure. throw the ball so. down the field. But I don't know that I saw enough just flat out accuracy in the spring to to be any more confident than seven. Now, hearing what what Pete's saying that Tommy Reese said about you know, Cohn and how much confidence he has in him. Well, maybe, maybe our numbers should be a little bit higher. You know, here's the problem I have with I, Ian Book was not a great, I mean, I don't, for, for Notre Dame's level, he was not even a good downfield passer. Let me put it that way. Right. Ian, Ian no. Book was great at some things. He was not good at that. I mean, if you look at Jack Cohn's passing chart compared to Ian <laughs> Book's passing chart, deep downfield, it is no better except Jack Cohn is pretty darn accurate going down 20 yards over to the right side. Everything else is no change for Ian Book whatsoever in their careers. And we rip on people rip on Ian Book because he couldn't beat Clemson, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and Michigan. Jack Cohn lost to Ohio State and Oregon and Michigan and teams like that too. Like, look, it, I want Jack Cohn to be better than Ian Book. I just don't know why all of a sudden Wisconsin's quarterback comes over that nobody would have said we want Jack Cohn after the after that Rose Bowl instead of Ian Book. After the, I mean, during that season, and say we want Jack Cohn to start for Notre Dame. It's just because Book was there too long. Book was there too. Book should have left after he beat Clemson. Like, yep, I'm yeah. out too. <laughs> or after North Carolina when he scrambled all over because he he actually made me look good after that. North okay, Carolina I'll, I'll put a I'll put a ten confidence level on Jack Cohn will hang in the pocket. Yes, yeah, there you go. And that is, is that, a change for the better. And yeah. that is something that will maybe really help the offense. He will, so there will probably be a few more sacks, maybe a, a strip sack. Uh, but he will hang in the pocket and make a throw and take a hit. I, there's just too much video evidence yeah, to, and to dispute that. I don't I don't in any way try to dis- disparage Jack Cohen. It's just like Notre Dame had one of the best weapons in football in Ian Book's legs last year at quarterback. He just was not as good of a passer as Notre Dame needed him to be to beat the top teams. So right. we'll see if Jack Cohn's passing ability and everything else combined is better than that. And Notre Dame's wideouts weren't good enough to no, that's I mean, yeah, to be fit yeah. to be fair. They to weren't fair. good enough either. Uh, Wilmus one fifty five. Has there been any new off season workout buzz? I I'm taking that as individuals. Pete, do you have I, anything uh, on that? I get- no, you know I really haven't asked around on it. Um, because it kind of goes back to something you said earlier, like who doesn't look good working out <laughs> if you're a college athlete? Yeah. But uh, I mean, I'm, I'm impressing I mean, the coaches. The, the, the physical maturity of the freshman class, like Reese mentioned it to me. Uh, and it, and I, don't, I think I sort of asked for freshmen who maybe like could be like, oh, all right. You know, guys a little farther. Like Joe Alt was one. Joe Alt's not going to play football this fall. Right. Um, but you're like, okay, well, maybe we're a year, a year ahead in a three-year project to get him ready to play college football. So that that would be one that stands out. But like among the higher end guys, I will say like I did something um, with Myron Tungavailoa and Maris Leofau this week where I was actually with them. Uh, Maris Leofau is a really thick impressive looking guy now um like i always thought he was skinny before no not even now he looks now. like a linebacker before yeah. oh, he looked yeah. like a safety well, playing linebacker. i was really impressed yeah. i mean i think circling back you mentioned Lindsay. that's mta that's Lindsay. that's lug that have been cited by coaches lug and mta by bayless Lindsay by tommy reese yeah. i mean Lindsay's. you said Lindsay's having that type of summer joe all that's good that means he can be on the eichenberg plan instead of the lug plan Liam Eikenberg's yeah. third year, he was a starter and a damn good one. 
Josh Lugg took four, you know, he was an, he was an emergency player that year, but um, I, I think that's great news about Joe Alt. I mean, that's yeah, very no, rarely. Yeah, I mean, it, I, it, you know, when uh, I, the, the comment Reese made to me was when we recruited him, he was 240s, now 280. Yeah. yeah. Good. And look, I, I, I'm being a jerk about the whole, the, the way guys look physically. Of course, it's important. And no, I every, know that, but like, not I'm everybody saying, does. Not Florida everybody State would does. look great working out. No. Well, yeah, Jalen Seed looks out. great working out. Have you seen Jalen Seed's workout photos? They look awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, he looks, he looks good. The, guy, the guys that, and I may have mentioned this. I don't know if I wrote it or said it in a podcast, or, but uh, he, Tommy Reese said the two running backs, which is Estime and Diggs and, and, and the two receivers. And he was only talking about guys that came in in June, not the yeah. early entries. Yeah. Uh, and he talked about Jaden Thomas and that um, I think it was Drew Pine that said, Hey coach, Jaden Thomas looked really good today. So that's, you know, I mean, everybody expects it to be Colsey, uh, but I'm not shocked at that. I, I don't know that there's any one single distinguishing characteristic about Jaden Thomas, but he's put together well. And I could see him being a strong, you know, tough guy to get off the football. We mentioned um, earlier in the summer that Jaden Thomas, I think we, we might've missed on our countdown, not because he's going to come in and catch 15 passes, but because he's probably a guy that can walk in and Brian Pullen will say that dude's on my special yeah. teams. Cause he does, he does everything well out there. And that's, that's what special teams is about is being able to do all that kind of stuff. As a okay. We're going to, we're going to, we got two more. We're going to move along. I think we're dragging a little bit here. NJ, NJL Irish, I believe it is with the current recruiting progress, trending up on cornerbacks uh, with recruiting progress on wide receivers still developing. Is there any consideration to moving Jojo Johnson, to wide receiver in the future? Poor kid hasn't even gotten a rep at, Get ask, some number, ask me in two years. He might get some uh, number two reps at nickel, right? In August. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a guy that remember how uh, Polian gushed about him, and I know that, uh, you know, I know that Polian's not going to make the decisions as regarding a nickel, but um, you know, let's let him let's let's let him practice at the position he was recruited for before. Um, you know, and I imagine it is a possibility, but yeah. I like three new coming, three new players at wide receiver in JoJo Johnson's class, and that's Jaden Thomas, Deion Colsey, and Lorenzo Styles. I'm going to go with those guys for a little while. Yeah, I mean, let's let them. I mean, we saw Styles in the spring, obviously, a little bit, and let's. Uh, I mean, I imagine it's possible, but I'm not aware to answer the question of yeah. I mean, like of that they, being a buzz with them. You know, someone moves every year. Sure, but like, so, let's say they get C.J. Williams and Tobias Merriweather. Are we really having yeah, this conversation? I mean, so. I, I, w- I want to see Jojo Johnson lined up on a slot receiver. Yeah, I guess to, to his point, um, like, yeah, McIntosh <laughs> came in. They had six running backs. They had nine wide receivers. He became a wide receiver for a year. So if you need snaps, I don't think you need to get snaps to wide receivers, though, because there's so many young wide yeah. receivers on the team that need snaps. Yeah. That's the best way to, to look at it. All right, and we will wrap up with a question from Kaiser Wilhelm. Is it safe to assume BYU in Las Vegas in 2022 is all but a done deal? Well, it's not in Provo. I uh, won't be in trouble. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I mean, the the, que- the question did not include Vegas, but I put that in there because oh, good. That's yeah. where it's going to happen, right, yeah. Pete Sampson? Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't heard anything that would lead me to believe that it won't. I mean, it's it's probably just like you have to schedule with the venue in this instance, which is can be a little complicated. Yeah, especially um, NFL venue. But if you can get that worked out, then you're good to go. Um, Certainly, I mean, it's like there's too much talk between the ADs at each other to make me think that this is not yeah. happening. The first time I asked the question about that, the response was no comment, which led me to believe that <laughs> it was yeah. it's it's probably going to happen in Las Vegas in 20, 2022. And it's a it's a neat matchup. It's an interesting matchup. And Brady, Wait, I don't know who they play in Vegas. <laughs> it was like the Navy game in San Diego, with Tim, where people yeah. were complaining next to us. This is stadium's a dump. I don't care. You know, I've been. <laughs> this will be my 40th year covering Notre Dame, and I have never set foot on Las Vegas soil. I have flown through there. You guys have been to Vegas, right? Yeah. Everybody's yeah. been to Vegas. Two times. Been, yeah, yeah. I I haven't been so uh, better than Provo. Yeah, be, yeah. yeah. Provo's, in, Provo's interesting, although that's still an, an incredibly Pretty. beautiful venue. Uh, but BYU in Vegas, 2022. Sign me up. We'll take it. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, we are going to take. One of the one of the uh, uh, 
tweets today was you guys need to do more podcasts. Well, it's really only been in the last couple of weeks. I think we did a podcast every week from, yeah, yeah, it was, from August two, of two last breaks. year until, yeah, we took a couple of breaks. Well, we, we appreciate that comment and we will be back in two weeks as football is about to begin in Northern. Thanks for joining us for Irish Illustrated Insider.